Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. You know, nothing charges me up more than when people just do something where they're like, yes, I'm going to do this thing and making it happen. I've got this friend, Steph, who just decided I'm going to become a baker and she's got like a total other job that she does and does a great job with it. Like, you know, she's a designer, but she needed some extra income during the pandemic and she just started a baking company and is crushing it and has done really, really good with it when she needs to raise funds for anything. Like, for example, her cat was just sick. She raises some money through baking. I just think it's cool. Like, you know, you get the idea of like baking things and it's like level of professionalism. And this isn't just like your you know community bake sale. This is someone who's making like really incredible stuff that, you know, you got to like know people to be able to get. There's kind of like this whole thing around it. It's awesome. This idea of like all of these rules about the entry into things and like being able to participate in things or do things. Some of these things are based on like, I guess, practical things, but a lot of them are just based on structure and societal norms and also like assumed belonging to certain groups. Something that I found really interesting is when people are like, no, there are no rules. That's not going to apply to me. I'm going to do this thing. And today's guest is a really good example of that. Christopher McGarrell is the founder and president of Mandem Cycling Club a diverse and inclusive cycling community group based in Toronto, Ontario. Although the club started as an inside joke amongst friends, it ended up hosting 18 events over 16 consecutive weeks last summer. The club started as an inside joke between some friends and ended up becoming like a cycling movement in Toronto. It got all of these people who hadn't even cycled, including Christopher himself, out on the roads like trying this new thing and building a community. And the interesting thing is cycling, which is like, it's a very cool sport. I'm a part of it myself. It can be a bit intimidating to get into because there's like expensive gear, expensive clothing, you know, these people who are riding these great distances, but it doesn't have to be that. It can be this really cool thing. And Christopher has gone on to prove that with Mandem. So after starting it, they hosted 18 events over 16 consecutive weeks in Toronto. It really created a huge change, not just for Christopher, but for the people who are part of the club. Interestingly enough, he's gone from not being a cyclist at all to now being a sitting member of the board of directors of Cycle Toronto, which is a not-for-profit advocacy group. I love this like you know, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to be a part of this and to see where that's led. So today's episode is really cool and one that I think everyone's going to get a lot out of. Before we get into it, though, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to this episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. everyone welcome back to the show so like i said in the intro today we're going to be talking to christopher about his cycling club called mandem this is a really cool story and something that i think speaks to the idea of hey if you want to do something just do it and it might have 
just in the impact of making you personally satisfied, or it could change your world and the worlds of other people. And so this to me is a story of someone starting something with just the greatest of intentions uh, and not realizing the big positive impact it was going to have. So with that, Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Heck yeah. All right, man. So tell us about Mandem and how it started. All right. So Mandem Cycling Club, uh, how it started, it was honestly a joke, man. Like last year in the summer, you know, the pandemic, gyms were closed, like people were getting laid off. Like there was a bunch of racial tension on TV and I was just looking for something to do. I was, I was like mad depressed. I was going to work, coming home, laying on the couch, bumming out. And then I just had this random idea about potentially getting a bike. So I texted my best friend. I said, hey, man, um, would you ever get a bike again? Because he used to have a bike like a BMX, like back in our early 20s, you know. And he said, yeah, I would get one. So he and I just made like a little pledge with each other. Um, we went out and got bikes two weeks later. And then I made a post on my Instagram just to kind of share like how I was feeling at the time, just touching with my people. And I said, I bought a bike. And next thing you know, the comments are flooded and a whole bunch of people that I've known from like high school or different workplaces and stuff like that were like, I have a bike too. We should link up. So I just said it as a joke. Like I have a bike. My boy has a bike. So-and-so has a bike. Mandem Cycling Club. All the Mandem have bikes, you know? My girlfriend was like, that's a great idea. You should do it. And I was like, Mandem Cycling Club? That's dumb. Like, why would I? That's so stupid. Why would I do that? And I was literally on the couch playing Call of Duty as we're, as we're having this conversation. So uh, she, she goes on the balcony, comes back out 10 minutes later, and she tell, looks me dead in my face. And she's like, you know what? You always have these cool ideas. You're always second-guessing yourself. Open up an Instagram for your cycling club. Like, what do you have to lose? Like, she kind of backed me into the corner. So I opened it. And then a week later, we had our first ride. And next thing you know, I spent the next 16 consecutive weeks hosting cycling events in the city, uh, 18 events in total, had four or five consecutive weeks with like 100 people outside on bikes. It was crazy and all because of a joke, right? So it just got to a point where like I just had to embrace it and just let nature take its course. And next month will be our one year anniversary and I'm just happy to be here. Heck yeah, man. Congratulations. That's huge. All right. So tell me about the name. I, I, I might have heard the story in there, but tell me where the name came from. Yeah. So the term mandem is like a Caribbean slash like Toronto slang word to like say like uh, your the fellows or like your friends, you know? So like the weekend would come is like, oh, where are the mandem going this weekend? Or like, yo, I'm somebody will call my phone. I'd be like, oh, I'm just here with the mandem. So it's just like, I'm just here with the guys, you know? So when when although it started off as just like myself and a couple of my guy friends that had bikes, like by the second week I had women riding with us, right? So at that point I just kind of embraced it as a inclusive thing. As much as, you know, it's the mandem that started it and that inspired it, and I'm one of the mandem and I run it, it's it's really for everybody. And that's the nature that's just the way things unfolded. Good for you, man. That's fantastic. So did you have a history cycling up until this point? No, no. So Typical Scarborough upbringing, living in the suburbs on a cul-de-sac. You know, I, I, I did have bikes growing up as a kid. And from what my memory serves me, I'm thinking maybe sometime in my early 20s, I kind of gave up the bike life and got my license and started driving and never looked back. So the last time I was on a bike as an adult was back in 2015. And me and a couple of my friends, we went to Amsterdam for like four or five days. And over there, the bike culture is like, it's the way of life. Like, you, like there's hardly any cars on the road. So I spent that whole weekend riding the bike. And I'm not going to lie, like that weekend out there and riding to Vondel Park and going into the cafes and getting some accompaniments and just enjoying myself, <laughs> it, right? It, it, it felt really good. 
But like, I didn't bring that home. You know, I just kind of took it as like, I went on vacation that was over there back to my life here. So I got my bike last summer and that was my first time on a bike since 15. And before that, I I couldn't tell you. Mm. So why cycling? Like why that versus running or yoga or anything else? I come from like a weightlifting background. Like I used to go to the gym once to, like once a day, sometimes twice a day in my heyday. Um, I'm a bit of a heavier set guy. So running was always like a turnoff to me because all I could think about is my my precious knees and my ankles, right? I, honestly, just there's so many people like some of the guys that play basketball with that, like they used to ride their bikes to basketball. A couple of guys that you grew up with just randomly, I would see them in the city on their bike. And I just kind of, I guess in the back of my mind, you know, it kind of planted that seed as something that I should consider. And I might've considered it a few years ago, just never actually like pulled the trigger until last summer where I didn't have any choice. Like, like I mentioned, the gyms were closed basketball um, drop-in nights were, were canceled and cycling just seemed like the, the the thing to do so why start a club rather than just join one so like i mean there's a bazillion cycling clubs so like why actually make one yourself so here's the here's my confession this wasn't um some like mastermind idea you know like i didn't like scan the cycling culture in toronto and see what clubs were out there what they were doing and then you know, had some solution to like how I can kind of fill a void. Like I was totally oblivious to everything happening in the city cycling related. Um, Like I said, it was just that joke with my friends. And it was just like something that I felt would be beneficial to me and my friends. And then as time went on, a lot of other people were were interested in also riding just for their own peace of mind or wellness, what have you. Right. So um, it wasn't so much I started the club because um, I wanted to start a club. It was more like it was a joke that I made with my like, a couple of my boys and then somebody kind of dared me to do it and then I did it and now I have a club, right? So um, I thought about this a lot of times, like if, if I could have gone back in time and I've done it differently. And honestly, I don't think I would have enjoyed my summer as much if I didn't take on that challenge, right? So I'm a stubborn mm-hmm. Capricorn, man. So when somebody's in my face telling me like, what do you have to lose? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that dare nine out of 10 times. So how many active members do you have right now? So that's one of the things that's like a big question mark because the typical cycling club does have membership, right? So the membership required that you you pay, you might get a kit, it might get you some discounts at some stores and stuff like that. I've chosen not to even have that barrier. And it's a question that's come up a couple of times, but we're more of a community group as opposed to a cycling club. So yeah, the cycling club is in our name, but I'm just advocating for people to ride their bikes, get outside and be fit and kind of enjoy the city. Because right now here in Toronto, they're shutting down roads to accommodate you know active lifestyles. So I'm just acting as an advocate and just promoting that to, to the city, right? So um, I've thought about the membership aspect. I don't think at this time I'm going to pursue that. Um, because one of the major roadblocks in cycling right now, aside from the soup du jour of like diversity and inclusion, is like the barriers that exist, right? And membership and having to pay to be a part of something, to me, is another barrier. So we're, we're like the anti to like a lot of the tri- traditional cycling clubs, right? So we're just functioning as a community group. We're outside. If you want to roll with us, roll. If you don't want to roll, that's cool. Um, and we're just going to leave it at that. Uh, what kind of size rides do you typically have, though? So now you're about a year in. How many people are you pulling out for the rides? Well, I would say in the peak of summer, as I mentioned, we had about four or five weeks where there was like 100 people. But typically, like when we're in our peak, it was minimum 50. Wow, man. That is super wild. Yeah. So what kind of feedback have you gotten from people who have been involved in it? Um, the feedback has been mixed. Majority of it, I've seen 99% of the feedback has been positive. Um, because our club, again, compared to some of the other clubs where they're riding for performance, they're riding to train, um, they're riding to potentially enter a race and things of that nature. Whereas 
art club is just like replicating that feeling of riding your bike with your friends as a kid. We don't care if you have a road bike or a cruiser or you're on like a, we have some people on e-bikes and some other different kinds of bikes. Like we're not looking at any of that kind of stuff. Um, we're not performance-based. We're not competing with each other. We're just cruising in the city and just having fun. So that's always been the mantra and we're kind of standing by that. So that's kind of made it easier for people to consider being a part of what we've built because we're not putting any limitations or saying that you have to meet a certain criteria to be a part of it. Dude, I love that so much because like cycling is, it can be two things. It can be notoriously like pricey, like really, really expensive sport and and kind of, I hate to say this because it's not always true, but it can be notoriously expensive and very judgmental and kind of like a little, a little like you know, gatekeeper-ish, but flip it. It can also be like totally cheap and really, really community-based. It's just, you just need to choose your path. And it sounds like you've really had a real focus on like, oh no, I want everyone to ride. And that that is huge, man. I think that's really, that's really powerful. Yeah. And like I said, it's made it very easy for people that typically never even thought about being in a cycling club to realize that it's actually reality. Because if you look up any, and nothing against any of the cycling clubs in the city, like I'm cool with a lot of them, you know, shout outs to Morning Glory, uh, UNC, Batemans, uh, Toronto Hustle. They all have their purpose and they're, and they're serving a niche, right? But the average person on two wheels doesn't fit that mold. So I'm just kind of, cre- I've just, like, incidentally, I've created like a home for them to join us and just, you know, participate and have that camaraderie, the same type of like uh, friendship and that social aspect that a lot of the other cycling clubs offer. We're doing the exact same thing, just without the barriers or limitations based on like the economic factors or the performance factors. Yeah. So prior to this, were you really like a community-based guy? Had you ever had any background in creating like a, a community for people? No, no community background whatsoever. And to be very honest and transparent with you, I come from a background of just working my job and going home and just doing what, like chilling with my friends, play video games, go to the gym. But in the back of my mind, like I, I always wanted to do something and it... It gave me anxiety. Like there was a couple of years ago, I remember like being so stressed out. Like I felt something inside of me. Like I can do more than just go to work and go home. And I and I knew that. And I knew it wasn't a matter of picking up a hobby. Or because I played in basketball leagues, I've I played rugby before. I've done other extracurricular activities. But I knew that I could do something more than just kind of serve myself. I just didn't know what it was. Typically what I would do is if there's other people in the city doing community stuff, I would just kind of go and help them. So like, for example, one of my friends is a barber. He had this thing where he would go to different community centers in the city every summer and give kids in their haircut, um, free haircuts and free braids to go back to school fresh, you know? So I would go and help him and sweep the floor and just, just offer my time. Um, so this is the first time that I've actually had something of my own where it's like, it's a passion piece as well as like, uh, you know, something that ties into like what I've actually wanted to do, which is serve the community in some facility, in some capacity, sorry. Before, prior to this, no, I haven't done anything community wise at all. What have you learned about yourself that you didn't know previous to this? That's a great question. Um, I've always prided myself as an introvert with extrovert like characteristics, (laughs) you know? Like, I thoroughly enjoy curling up on the couch and binge watching a show, leave me alone, turn my phone on silent. Like, I love that. And I think that's because of, like, my professional career. Like, I've worked in, like, the service industry or worked in offices where I've always had to interact with people and make phone calls and have meetings and stuff like that. So when I had that silent time to myself, I felt like that was, like, my peace of mind. And I kind of chopped it up as that's my true self. But um, I've learned from last summer that I really do enjoy being around people. 
You know, I, I especially in a positive light like that, where it's like we're having fun, we're just outside, we're riding our bikes, we're socializing. Like, I met so many new people last year. And as an adult, that's pretty difficult to make new friends. Like you pretty much have your friends, whether from like college or high school, that just kind of carry with you, right? Um, I've made easily two dozen, maybe even three dozen new friends. Like when I say friends, like they have my number, they can text me. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm coming to your house to go for a ride or let's go eat and things like that, right? And that's all just from cycling. So I've learned about myself that I'm not as introverted as I used to say that I was. Um, and But aside from that, like, my background playing sports and like my, my jobs and stuff like that. I've always been in a leadership capacity. Like I was the captain of my football team, captain of my rugby team, you know, um, places where I worked, I was in a leadership or a management role where I had to support other people and stuff like that. And a lot of those skills have been transferable to the stuff that I'm doing now. So in terms of communicating with people and, you know, responding to messages in a in a professional tone and like all that kind of stuff that you would take from the workplace. Like I've been lucky enough that I've been able to like apply a lot of those skills um, in this new lane that I've kind of carved out for myself. So those are probably the main two things that I can say that I've taken away. You went right where I'm real interested, though. So you've had leadership roles before, whether it be in sport before or kind of like working the office. There's something different though, when you step out of the structure of that, because what you're doing is largely unstructured. It's not something you intended to do. And suddenly you've got like not five people, but you've got like a hundred people on bikes going through the city. What did you learn about leading big groups of people in an unstructured environment? Well, the, the joy about the whole cycling thing is that I was super transparent off the rip. Um, like the whole journey has been somewhat documented on our Instagram where, you know, I'm a new cyclist. Like I'm not some cycling pro that's going to teach you how to be the best cyclist. I told people straight up, like I just got my bike. I'm outside riding if you want to roll. And like they've all kind of been on this journey with me, you know. So luckily for me, um, lots of the other like professional or more serious cyclists in the city who have a lot more experience saw what I was doing, saw the influence that I had. And uh, they, they've offered me a lot of uh education. So for example, when I first started, I wasn't wearing a helmet because I felt like I looked like a dweeb when I, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So like the first, the, <laughs> that, that's serious. When I got my bike, I bought the helmet and that shit sat in my closet for the first month. I, was, I, I, I wasn't wearing it. I wasn't wearing it. And then um, there's a woman that was like on like uh, on another club who sat on like their board as like a safety officer or whatever. And she sent me a message. She told me, Chef Christopher, love what you're doing. You're getting so many people on bikes. It's amazing to see so many um, new cyclists, especially cyclists of color, because the city's never had this kind of boom before. However, you are a leader and I highly recommend you wear your helmet. And when she said, and this is a complete stranger, right? But she gave me the feedback in such a constructive way that I was like, damn, like if I'm actually going to be this guy and I'm going to go out there and tell people to ride their bikes, I need to lead by example, you know? So I put my helmet on and as much as I felt like a dweeb over after a couple of weeks, like I kind of got over it, you know what I'm saying? So like that was, that was probably one of the main like stories like I remember from like that beginning portion that kind of stood out to me was like, I have to adjust to being in this position, Right. So promoting, promoting the safety, you know, I drive a car. So like you don't have to tell me about stopping at a red light and stuff like that. But a lot of the people that ride with us come from the suburbs where maybe the traffic isn't as busy or they don't drive and they're just riding loose and reckless. So I've had to kind of share those tips and that advice, um, you know, to give people some information in regards to like, you know, you're leaving your house for a ride. Like 
you should have some water. You should have a helmet on. You should have a bell on your bike. If you're going out at nighttime, you should have a light. You should have certain things ready just in case something goes wrong, right? So, uh, and I've shared that week over week over week, all of, all of the things that I've learned and the things that have been taught to me. Um, and people have, honestly, they, it, it just resonated with a lot of people that I was being kind of vulnerable and wasn't acting like I'm a know-it-all. Like I was leading, but with purpose. It was like, you know what? Yeah, I run this cycling club, but I don't know shit about bikes. So I'm going to show you the stuff that I'm learning and hopefully you can learn too. And that's the culture that we've built, right? So fast forward, like I have over 5,000 followers on Instagram. You know, like it's a very engaging community. Like I can put a post up, you know, you'll see all in the comments, people are talking to their friends. Oh, let's go, let's go. Like complete strangers, you know? So um, it's been fun, but it's been very enlightening. I still have a lot of, a lot to go. Like I want to get to a point where I can like completely fix my bike and take it apart and build it back up. But stuff like that comes over time. It does, man. Um, now you brought it up a couple of times when we're talking about ideas of race and we are living in a time where there's just a ton of conversation, really important conversation and a lot of tension. You know, there's a lot of people really trying their best to make the right things happen. And there's a lot of anger, a lot of fear, a lot of emotion coming to the surface. So you'd mentioned that early on, like, yeah, you know, this is a difficult time and this is in the air. And then also when you got that feedback um, from from this kind of mentor person in, in the cycling community, they had also mentioned, hey, like you're drawing in a lot of people of color into the sport. So what role has race taken on in the narrative around the around the Mandem Club? Because I know that wasn't anything that was initially a part of the the creation of it, right? No, like it wasn't like, again, like I didn't do a case study. It wasn't like I'm going to go out here and I'm going to be the first black led bike club in the city. Like none of that was on my mind. You know what I'm saying? But um, little to what did I know that at that time in cycling, diversity and inclusion and those barriers was a talk track. Like a lot of the top bike brands were already posting on their social media and like taking ownership of the fact that, you know, like they've somewhat been part of the problem. You know, lots of the cycling publications started to shed some light on some non-white athletes or non-white organizations to kind of show that it, the cycling really is diverse. And for us specifically here in the city, during the first couple of weeks, like I've had people come to me straight up and say, I've wanted to join a cycling club for the longest time, but they're all run by middle-aged white guys. And I, I didn't feel like that was somewhere where that, that was that I was welcome. Right. So they would go and look at some of the uh, social media, some of the other clubs. And when you see us like 20, 25 people and it's like 23 white guys and like one Asian guy or like one brown guy, you know, it looks like it's a very white dominant setting. So someone would be a bit hesitant to, to, to enter that. So I think for me personally, like I never looked at things like that, but I do understand someone who does. From my personal upbringing, I grew up in a very white dominant neighborhood in Scarborough. Um, my mom put me in French immersion. I didn't even have any like black friends to like eighth grade, right? So for me, it was just a matter of like just navigating certain environments. And yeah, I had my fair share of encounters with like racism and prejudice and things of that nature, but I never really let it let stop me from doing something that I actually wanted to do. But for a lot of other people, they don't have that same mindset, right? So when people are come to me and they're telling me like, oh, this is cool, like it's a cycling club and you know, it has a different vibe to it or it's like, it looks like it's you're actually promoting the diversity and inclusion as opposed to putting out a statement that you're going to change and then nothing really changes. I was actually like living through it, right? So even though you go on my page and you see that very first ride, it's me and seven of my friends. There's one white guy there. There's one brown guy there. But then by the second week, we had uh, another white guy and then we had an Asian woman. And then after that, it just grew and grew and grew. And we literally have an accurate representation of 
um, the culture that exists here in Toronto. Like I've had Muslim women come full headdress on, really like welcoming to everybody. And even though, again, like the name would imply that it's probably a black guy behind it, it's my friend. So yeah, it is a predominantly you know, black or black-led space, there is a good mix of everybody else there where nobody's going to have that notion to say, you know, I don't know if I should go there or I don't know if this is for me, you know? And if they do, after a, a conversation, or usually that I'm able to change their mind. So it's still something that I feel um, the city's challenged with, or not even in the city specifically, but just like the cycling industry where there's still that roadblock there. But I look at cycling as the same as like, I play basketball, for example, right? If you want to go to the park and shoot hoops, you can go buy a rubber ball and shoot and it costs you maybe 10 bucks and you can do that. But if you want to play in a league, you might have to invest in a uniform. You might have to get some better shoes. You might have to get a trainer. Like the, the, the economics increase, right? And I look at it the same way with cycling. You don't have to have a pro race bike to go outside and ride your bike with your friends. So like we've had people pull up on like super cycles from Walmart that they just got, or furthermore, they even just go and rent like a city bike, you know, and just pay that fee for a couple of hours just to come outside. So it's just the perception of the sport as like, look at these guys, they're racing, it's expensive. And then it automatically kind of triggers someone to say, oh, that's too expensive for me. Right. But in actuality, if you just want to go outside and ride, like there's a bunch of brands that offer bikes at like a very fair entry level price that you can just ride casually. But when you get into it from a performance standpoint, then you're going to see the, the, the dollars go up a little bit. But I don't like to look at it as a money thing because cycling for me has been such a it's been such a relief. Like I'm way more level headed than I was prior to getting the bike. My activity level is crazy. My mental clarity and dexterity is like night and day compared to before. So I don't look at it as, oh, cycling is expensive. I look at it as I'm investing in my well-being. I'm investing in my mental health. I'm investing in my relationships with my friends and my family. And and because that's where the direct impact has been. Like my mom, my cousins are all like, yo, you're different now, right? Like my, one of my cousins told me, you haven't been this way since you were in high school. So I guess the real world, first world problems, you know, like work and bills and stuff like that were just weighing down on me. And then I got on the bike and it's like, I shed all that shit. So it, so I'm just advocating for that. Cause I think it could be a, a, I really think it could help a lot of people and they might not realize it until they get on the bike and feel their, with that wind in their face and realize the freedom that comes with that, right? So I'm just acting as an advocate to get as many people on bikes as possible because I think it can cure a lot of a lot of stuff going on right now. Yeah, and man, what I love about it is you got such fresh eyes to it. So like, you know, I've been cycling for, I don't know, like quite a while now. It's funny because when you're like, oh, it doesn't have to be this, it doesn't have to be that, and that, I'm like, damn, it's all of those things for me. <laughs> it's expensive. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like gatekeeping. It's all these things. It's all these things that I don't like about it. Um, which has largely kept me cycling by myself because I, I don't I, I I don't like a lot of the aspects of the sport, but I like the sport. So I, I typically have ridden by myself until just recently. A few of my friends started cycling uh, locally. And now the three of us cycle a lot. Like every week we go out and cycle. You know, I never it never occurred to me like, man, I'll just start my own bike, a cycling club. And it's just such a funny thing where it's like, well, if, yeah, of course you could just do that. So like kudos to you because that's like a huge thing. It, in one way, it's not a huge thing because like anyone can do anything like that. So in one way, it's not. But in the other way, it ha it is because anyone can do it, but not everyone does it. And you did it. And not only did you do it, it's changed a lot of people's lives. So let's talk about the actual club, though. Like how many times a week do you ride? With the club or by myself? With the club. So the, the format we had last summer, um, we were meeting up at least once every weekend. So typically how it would go, um, you know, Wednesday or Thursday, I put a post on Instagram 
I'd share like date and time, whether it's Saturday morning, Sunday evening, just based on my own personal schedule. And then I just said, we're going to be here. If you want to come, you can come. And then I kind of share like, yo, we're going to ride from here to here, give people a high level overview of the approximate distance, how much time it might take to go from A to B. And that's pretty much been it. And then it just that cycle just repeats. So we have the ride. Sunday, I'll post some recap footage. People will tag the hell out of the club while they're out with us. I'll do a recap the following day and then repeat the following week. So like that's probably what was like the hardest part for me was like to try to get a little bit creative with like where we can ride and stuff like that. But as the group grew, I had to take into consideration that some of the trails aren't really designed to accommodate like a group of 50 at once. Right. So uh, luckily for us, we had active TO road closures. So I just took advantage of all those. I just bounced around from Lakeshore East, Lakeshore West, Bayview. There's a couple of other like cool parks and little places that we can hang out in between all of that and just kind of designed all of our activities um, through that. And typically how long are the rides like in terms of distance? Um, not that long. I mean, 10, it could be 10 kilometers. It could be 15 one way. Um, we've had some rides where we spend more time socializing and hanging out than we do actually riding. Right. So like the bike is just a vessel to kind of just bring us together. And then we end up just hanging out for a couple of hours and everybody just does their own thing from there. Right. So um, have you ever been to the um, R.C. Harris water treatment plant at Queen and Victoria Park? No. Okay, so if you take Queen Street East all the way to Victoria Park, on the south side, there's a big City of Toronto water treatment plant. But at the back of that plant, there's like a huge green space. There's a railing and overlooks the lake. So one day we met at Underpass Park, which is like Queen and um, River or King and River Street, rode about 15 minutes to the park. And we all just hung out there for like three hours in the baking sun, just hanging out. A ride could be 15, 20 minutes. It could be half an hour if we ride from end to end of the city. But it just depends on how I'm feeling at the time. Like if there's a weekend where I'm, I want to be outside all day, I might have a longer ride. But I'm, I'm very cognizant of the fact that there's people that want to ride with us that are overwhelmed by the idea of 10 kilometers, even though that's short to me, to someone else that's like, oh my God, 10 kilometers, you're crazy, right? So I mixed it, I've kind of mixed it up a little bit with shorter and longer rides, just kind of going with the flow. Right on. And how often do you personally ride? Me personally, I try to ride like maybe three or four days a week. I just got a new bike, so I've been riding a bit more regularly, uh, maybe four or five times a week. Um, but looking back to last year, it was like maybe like one or once or twice during the week, and then both days, Saturday and Sunday. Um, I actually rode my bike throughout the winter for the first time. Like I've had a lot of people tell me they ride all winter because I was thinking, oh, I need to go invest and get one of those trainers and ride indoors and have a pain cave in my apartment. But um, a lot of people have told me that they ride their bike all year. So I just geared up, bought some ski goggles. And I was, I was outside in the winter, minus four, minus 12, you know, a quick one hour, you know, and then it was, it was pretty cool. So it kind of kept my lungs fresh. Um, but like four to five times a week right now in the peak season. So it's good that you got past your being uncomfortable with the, the helmet because now you got to do the helmet and the ski goggles together, right? Yeah, and the balaclava and a whole bunch of other stuff, <laughs> right? And a, and a whole bunch of others, like super, like triple layers, merino wool, wool socks, like you name it, I have it. I love it, man. So you've talked so much in, in this conversation about inclusivity and, and really like properly representing, uh, like, you know, proper representation within a group of people as the club continues to grow are there any barriers that you haven't been able to address yet that you plan on addressing around cycling in the early days um there just because of the name i did get some feedback specifically from women that the name kind of gives the impression that it isn't inclusive you know and i've had to like have some 
conversations with a few different people about that. And I have to like explain to them that, you know, the origin of the name is just like, it's, it's me and my friends. Cause that, that's where it started. It's not really like, this is a club for the men. Them only no women allowed. Like I've had to like put some of that onto bed. Fortunately for me, um, there's about five women that ride with me last summer that were complete strangers when they first joined. But over the course of a few weeks, they, you know, you, you see each other every week for a month straight. They formed a crazy friendship. So now we have the Galdem, right? Which is like a women's cycling collective for all women and anybody who identifies as a woman. And they've been doing rides for women only. They had like maybe three or four events last year and, and they had a crazy draw too. I think their very first ride, they had about 80 women on bikes in the city um, meeting up at the X, at the X, right? So that's probably the one barrier that it was the name. But I think now that we have a year under our belt, people see that the name is just the name. And if they have it, you know, they, they take a look at our story they'll see that it's not just a men's club. It's not a men's club at all. That's really sick. That's really, really cool. All right. So, you know, as we're heading towards the end of the conversation, I've got three questions I want to start wrapping up with. The first is, how much further you plan on taking this? So right now, um, there's a lot of demand for like merchandise. So last year, the height of the pandemic, people around me are losing jobs. I could have easily cashed in last year and maybe made a couple grand selling t-shirts and stuff. But I personally just it just didn't feel right to like sell it. Like I kind of felt like I was taking advantage of this blessing that I was given, right? So I made a friend at Lululemon last year who gave us about 65 shirts and they put our logo on it. It was pretty sick. And I just gave those out to the people. I got some towels designed that I gave out to the people as well, but nothing was sold. So now that we're at this level now and the demand is still there, my VP slash creative director, best friend, who's a graphic designer. Um, we've designed some merchandise that we're going to sell this year. Basic t-shirts with the logo, some concepts that we've came up with, some stickers, some more towels, things of that nature. So I think that's the main change is that people are going to be able to have something tangible um, because last year they didn't. And honestly, I'm just waiting to figure out what Doug Ford's going to do with these current rules. Like he just extended our lockdown again. So it's kind of put us in a position where I couldn't even host an event if I wanted to, right? So I'm just right now thinking that we're not going to be able to congregate for a while. How can I still engage with the people and still, you know, get them to be outside, get them to ride still and just keep the community together virtually. So we have a couple of ideas for some events that we're going to do just to kind of get people outside. But aside from that, um, I'm just waiting for things to return to normal or the new normal, whatever that looks like. Um, and then we're going to have some events and some collaborations that are going to be pretty exciting. The second question I have for you is if you had any advice to someone who wanted to make a real impact in their community, but they didn't know how. So thinking back to you earlier, where you're like, I knew I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what it was or how to do it. What advice would you have for someone who wants to give more, but isn't sure what to do? Um, the only advice that I can give is to observe people in the city or in your community that are already doing stuff. And if there's something that they're doing that resonates with you or that you, that you're, that kind of ties to your, to your moral fiber, what, what you want to call it, reach out to them and see if there's anything that you can do to offer some of your time to support them. You'd be surprised um, how many of these organizations would love to have people volunteer a couple of hours a week or even a month for that matter, right? Um, that's what I did with my friend when he was doing his uh, haircutting stuff. It was very fulfilling to spend time with those kids and do that kind of stuff in the city. But just observe what's already going on and just reach out and just take it from there. Like I wouldn't recommend forcing it or you know looking at like as a business thing because i never looked at mandem as like a business thing it was it was literally an accident and i just happened to just ride the wave right um but if you really want to be involved in your city and you don't know what to do um just take a look around there's lots of stuff happening in the city all the time 
Right on. All right. Last question for you. Um, what are the, th- what are three things that you've learned about the city that you didn't know before you started cycling? Three things about the city that I didn't know about um, before cycling. Number one, um, the city is much deeper than I could have ever possibly imagined. You know, like when you're a person that has a car and you're going to work at home or you're going to parties or friends' houses or whatever, you're just taking the direct route. So you're literally on the 401, you're on whatever those, you know, main arterial roads are. And unless there's a barbecue or something, you're not really setting foot in some of these parks. But on the bike, we have a very dense trail system here. Um, that I didn't know existed before that. There's places that I've discovered that I didn't know were there prior to getting the bike. So that's definitely one thing I've learned. Secondly, you'd be surprised how quickly your body can adapt to riding. So case in point, when I first got my bike, I live in the West End near Islington Station. I rode my bike from Islington and Bloor to Royal York, just south of Bloor, which is like about a five, 10 minute ride. And I was gassed. I needed a 45 minute break. I drank all my water. I contemplated calling an Uber to go home. Like, it was bad. <laughs> it, was, it, was re- it was really bad. But I, I kept on riding. And then within a couple of months, I had the confidence to ride my bike to Niagara Falls. Oh, wow. Right? Very so cool, a lot of people looked at that like, oh, you're crazy. But, like, when you're doing 50 in the city or you build up that, 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 that level of confidence where you can spend all day in your bike and just ride at your pace and go as fast as you want – you can put in a lot of distance. So I, I, after doing 100 within the Toronto city limits a couple of times, um, the idea of doing 150 uh, to Niagara Falls wasn't, wasn't even that bad. So that's one thing. And lastly, about the city, there's a lot of people that ride that you wouldn't even think are cyclists. I was out one day with my friends. We were riding down college and this really big... Middle Eastern guy. He's probably 300 pounds. Looked like a, like he looked like he could be like an MMA fighter. That's how, that's how jacked this guy was. And we were at the red light and this guy walked up to us. He said, are you Chris Mandem? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh man, I love what you're doing. I have a bike. I'm going to come ride with you guys this summer. I'll see you. I'll see you in the summer. I was like, yeah, no problem. And I, I looked at all my boys and they were in like total shock. They're like, that guy rides? Like they couldn't, they couldn't believe it. Right. So like that stigma of like what like a quote unquote cyclist is. You'd be surprised how many people don't fit that mold, but they love cycling, that they love it, right? So I can share way more lessons and teachable moments that I've experienced, but like those three stand out the most for sure. Man, I love it. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been uh, really cool. It's a very inspirational story. Is there anything you want to share with our audience as we're closing off? Yeah, please check us out on Instagram. Um, It's mandemcc, M-A-N-D-E-M-C-C. Feel free to follow us. If you're a rider, feel free to tag the club. I, I try to share as much content of other people riding in the city as possible. And yeah, hope, hopefully I'll, I'll see you guys out there and maybe we can go for a ride one day. We'll see. Heck yeah. All right, man. Well, with that, uh, everyone will see you in the outro. And Spencer, drop the beat. Christopher, thank you so much for being on the show and for all you're doing for the community. I hope everyone was as charged up after hearing that as I was. It made me want to go out and start like 20 clubs, you know, like what kind of clubs do I want to start? 
And, you know, like almost like the idea of having a club seems like a little kid thing, but no, it's not. And in fact, I think it's more important as we get older to be part of these communities. But the thing is about communities, whether it's cycling or running or tabletop gaming or whatever it is, there's this sense of like, oh, you know, like there's a lot of rules or that only certain types of people can be involved. No, there can be no rules. You can choose to have an inclusive and diverse group. You've just got to take the leap and make it happen, just like Christopher and Mandem Cycling Club has done. So with that, everybody, build your community, make it happen, include people, break down those walls. They're only as strong as we let them be. So thank you everyone for listening. And as we're closing off, I want to remind you that we're produced and edited by Spencer Priest, recorded by Patrick McKechnie, and our design is done by Tammy Levy. Thanks everyone. And we'll see you next time on One Step Beyond. One step.